Welcome to the podcast of C3 Church with today's message. It is a joy to be with you. And I know that I am alive today because of the love and the mercy of the Father and the prayers of the saints who bombarded heaven's throne with the mention of my name so many times. And I know that you are among those who prayed diligently for me and for Deborah. And I want to thank you personally from my heart because I know that I am alive today because of you. So thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for believing and standing in the gap. Yeah. I heard Deborah pray this morning, and what she said to the Father was, Father, I am asking you to drive a stake into the heart of shame among your people. Well, I'd like to begin my um, time of sharing this morning in Ezekiel 37. And I won't spend much time here, hopefully. One never knows where he might lead you when um, you're in the midst of sharing. If you're open to being led, he might uh, change things altogether. However, I want to uh, look at the hand of the Lord, chapter 37, verse 1, 26, 7, whatever, centuries ago. And he brought me uh, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, They were very dry, Ezekiel 37. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answers the only thing any man would have answered. O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. The very first word out of Ezekiel's mouth from, the, from Yahweh, the Lord God, is that he is going to cause breath to enter and life to spring forth. And I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, put breath in you that you may come alive. Twice he said it now, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, And our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. In fairness to the scripture, this is written to the nation of Israel and not to you. But since you are the true Israel of God... And you are the true seed of Abraham and offspring. It applies to you. I don't want to talk about this vision of dry bones. I only want to talk about the word dry. And give you the meaning of the word dry from the Hebrew. It means dried away or dried up. And it comes from a primitive Hebrew root, which means to be ashamed, confused, or disappointed. Also to dry up as water or to wither as herbage plants. To be ashamed, to be confounded. To dry up, to shame fully and utterly as to wither away to shame fully and utterly as to wither away. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A broken spirit dries up the bones. What Ezekiel saw in the valley of dry bones, which Yahweh says, that's God the Father, by the way. Yahweh is the Father. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That means the whole house. That means every member in the house. That means the whole house. There are places in all of our lives where there has been shame, where there has been confusion and disappointment, where we have felt dried up and withered up, Places where we have been shamed fully and utterly so as to wither away. And that is what Ezekiel saw. That is what the Lord God saw, our Father saw. That is what he sees now. There is no more powerful negative force in the human soul that can operate and be destructive than shame. There is no other more powerful negative force in the human soul that can cause so much damage and destruction as shame. Nothing. If you know something, correct me, please. Shame has the power to kill you through suicide. Shame has the power to kill others through murder. Shame has the power to utterly destroy your relationship with God the Father 
because it will keep you from him. The Father is wanting to deliver us from all shame. And uh, I've done this only a few times, which I will not do that here, but I want to just tell you a story that I've done times in, in, in the past. When I have rarely chosen to speak on this topic, because I rarely do. But we sing about having been freed from our shame, right? We sing about it. And we, we try to celebrate that as a reality for our lives. But if I took a microphone and set it here in the front and said, I'd like to have everyone in the room take 30 seconds and come to the microphone, starting with John and Elaine, and I would like for every one of you to come and tell Number one, the worst thing that you ever did in your life. And number two, the worst thing that was ever done to you in your life. And then I'll just go plop myself down here and sit down and wait for, to see who will come. When I tell you that I've done this in truth, in churches, no one has come. And then when I stand back up and I ask, why has no one come? There's only one answer. Because there are areas where the power of shame is still affecting us yes. to such a degree that we've gone mute. Yes. Yeah. 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 And what I know about shame is this. The freedom from shame is always measured by the freedom to openly talk about that which once shamed you. And to do it with no shame. You see, if you have been an alcoholic in the past, you probably were told, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Or if you've been on drugs in the past, I raised my hand to both those, um, <laughs> what? You're going to be a drug abuser yeah. and have an addictive personality yeah. your whole life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In other words, that becomes your identity. Right. Paul says in one place, you once were yeah. drunkards and idolaters, and he gives this long list of things which includes being effeminate and homosexuals. But he says, you once were, which means that when you came into Jesus Christ, you no longer are identified by that because you have a new identity. And we have to make our minds up whether we are going to be identified by what we once were and once did or whether we're going to be identified by who God created yes, us to be yes. in the image according to the likeness and the fact that he has gloriously crowned us with his loving kindness by making us his sons and his daughters. Yes, and yes. There, doesn't, there isn't any other identity other than sonship. Every other identity is an illusion. That's what Brennan Manning said. He wrote in his book, Abba's Child, and if you've never read the book, Abba's Child, I want to really encourage everyone in this room to buy it. He's dead, so I don't get any royalties from it. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's a magnificent book. And he says, we need to learn how to identify and define ourselves by our belovedness to the Father. As his sons and daughters. Because that's your real identity yes. that nobody can mess with. That's right. It's not performance based. That's right. That's right. Hear me. It's not performance based. It's not ministry based. It's not ministry oriented. It's not ministry anything. Your names are written in heaven. Your ministry is not. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Glory. 
When I was born, my, my dad was out getting drunk, which he continued to do a long, long time after that. My mother said to the Lord in the hospital, if you keep my husband safe and bring him home to me tonight to the hospital, I'll give you this boy and I'll name him Christopher, which means a bearer of the Christ, Patrick. I'll give him to you. Well, she gave me a name. That's my name. And my friends just call me Chris. I don't ever want to be identified by anything other than my name. If I have any function in the body of Christ, we just let the function speak for itself. That's right. That's right. We let the effect speak for itself. We let the impartation speak for itself. We let the power of the dynamic of God speak for itself. And let the people of God say what they want about us. Come on. So your identity is as sons and daughters. But what about the sons and daughters who are still living in the orphanhood of their shame? Because having a shame-filled heart or shame-based life is part of our old life. It's part of our orphanhood before we knew the Father. But you're orphans no more. The Holy Spirit himself lives inside of you. Jesus himself lives inside of you. And if Jesus wasn't lying, the Father lives inside of you too because he said, we shall come, the Father and I, and make our abode. And Paul prays in Ephesians 3 and he says, I'm praying that, that the, the Christ may finally settle down and be at home in your hearts. Well, I know one thing, if Jesus settles down and makes himself at home in, 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 in your heart, that's the Greek terminology, settle down and be at home in your heart. That's what Paul wrote. So your heart is like a house. And houses have all kinds of rooms. Yes, they do. And if Jesus is going to settle down and be at home in your heart, then he's got to have access to all the rooms. That's right. Because behind some of the rooms, some of those doors have deadbolts on them. The lights have been turned off. Cobwebs are everywhere. There's a whole bunch of junk in there that you don't want anybody to know about or go in there and see. That's right. And I want you to know that that's going to be the first door Jesus walks down the hallway and he has a look at those six deadbolts. And he's going to stand right there at that door, and he's going to do one of these. Behold, this is not about evangelism, by the way. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus was saying that to the churches. He wasn't saying that to the world. He's saying that to me. I'm standing at the door of your heart and rooms of your heart. And I'm knocking. If any man opens to me, I will come in. Where? Into the room. You know, I do counseling as my tent making. I serve the Lord in it. And I work with the people of God. But it's how God has always taken care of and provided for for us. And and because of that, you know, I I get to see, I get to see people where they really are. Because I learned a long time ago, I can look out at all of you on a Sunday morning and y'all look so pretty. I mean, you just do. And if I just let my natural eyes, like, deceive me, I would think, well, they must be all just as beautiful and pretty on the inside as they all look on the outside. (laughs) Until the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and said to me, as I was standing like right here, and he said to me, things are never as they appear, Chris. Because I was really reticent to share what I was about to share. And I was like, 
I don't know about this. I don't think this word applies here. These white people here in Indianapolis, they they don't they don't want to deal with all this stuff. I know that for sure. And I hear and I hear the Spirit of the Lord say to me, Chris, things are never as they appear. And you know, I went on and I shared that day and I taught on some things. And before I knew it, in the middle of the meeting, people started wailing from their seats and crying their eyes out. We had to stop. I was like, I didn't know that was going to happen, but he did. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 6, or 7. One of those two chapters. <laughs> this is a great chapter of Scripture, and it's, it's crazy good because there are two stories in chapter 7 <clears throat> that revolve around women. So I'm here to tell you ladies that your father in heaven is absolutely not gender biased. Mm, come on. I want to tell you, ladies, your father is not gender biased. He's just not. This chapter has two stories about women, but it also mentions a whole bunch of other women. So this, I just call this the women chapter. Okay, so in verse 11, chapter 7 of Luke. This is a story about when life meets death. And it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain. Now, he'd been in Capernaum, which is about 25 miles away. A city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him accompanied by a large multitude. A large multitude? Yeah, a large multitude, which would have included, if you'll just hold your finger there and look at chapter 8 and go to verse uh, 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, thank God, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, <laughs> Herod Stewart and Susanna and many others, other women, who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So you've got these people who are traveling with them. They are part of the large multitude. Right. So this is a big group of people that are walking with Jesus from Capernaum to Nain. So there's one processional that's moving right. in the direction of Nain that comes, and it's got the one who said, I am the life. So he, he's the one who, in whom is life, and the life is the light of men, Amen. right? Amen. So he is the one who is full of life, he is full of light, and wherever he goes, he can't help himself. <laughs> because he just is who he is. You see, the Father cannot be any other way than good, because his goodness permeates and saturates the entirety of his infinite being. There is no part inside of God the Father that is not good. There is no darkness in him at all. He is true and he is completely consistent. So here comes Jesus with this large multitude. He approached the gate of the city, and behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. I just stop there. A widow who has one son, nobody else. Her husband is dead. Now her only son is dead. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Well, yeah, there's a sizable crowd because upon death, there's a blast of a horn in the city and so, that someone has died. Um, the mother tears her outer garment, sits on the floor lamenting with her back to the dead body. 
the burial preparations on the same day were that his hair and his nails are cut, his body is washed, anointed with oils and spices. He's wrapped in linens, except for his face. He's placed in a wicker basket, open coffin, laid face up on the coffin, hands folded on his, on his uh, chest, and the funeral procession is, there's at least two flutes, there's a melancholy tinkling of cymbals, there are trumpeters, there are, are mourning women, wailing women, there's a rabbi, and the processional is the rabbi, the mourning women, the widow, the coffin, then the friends and relatives, and then the multitude from, from Nain. So this is a big group of people yeah, yeah, yeah. that are coming out of the gate of the city of Nain as Jesus is walking in as life is about to collide with death. And when the Lord saw her, I just love Jesus. I just love him. I just love him. When the Lord saw her, that's all it took. He just saw her. Of course, he heard Everything he saw, everything else that was going. But it doesn't say when he saw them. It says, but when the Lord saw her. Wow. Can I tell you that you don't get lost in the, in, in, from the Lord's eyes in the midst of the crowd. Amen. You don't. There could be all kinds of activity going on all around you. But the Lord sees you. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And then he loses his mind. And he says to this woman, who is wailing and weeping, he says to her, crying her eyes out. Her, her heart is ripped in a million pieces. And he says, why? Do not weep because life is here. Amen. Amen. I see all this going on, but you don't know me. Right, right. You don't know my father. Yeah, yeah. And my father just gave me a directive to do something here. Which I'm about to do, which includes me telling you, stop crying. Because I'm going to give you a good reason to stop crying at about 30 seconds here, right? Right. And he came up and he touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. Now you got to picture it. Processional, processional. Everything comes grinding to a halt. And he said, he looks down at the young man in this wicker coffin. His face is uncovered, but his whole body's wrapped up. He looks at him. He looks at him. He just looks at him. And he says to him, young man, I say to you, I, life, I, the truth, I, the way to the Father, I am the one who is telling you. Arise. You know, Christians, I don't know what we're doing sometimes. Like, I don't know why we have to use so many words when we're, we're asking the Father for something. Do you know that he knows that his name is Father? And he knows that he's God. He knows that he's the Lord God. Jesus knows that he's the Lord Jesus. So when we pray, we don't, we don't have to say, like if I was talking to John, say, John, like I'm asking you, John. John, you think you could, John? Maybe, John, I'm asking you, John. John, look, I want to know if you and Elaine, John, could probably, John, I'm not just asking you, John, please. Just, John, I want to know something. John, let me ask you a couple of questions. John, do you know what I'm... 
Now, if you take all of that and then you you try to find out what I actually asked him, right, right, it, it could be. John, would you uh, uh, ask your wife to uh, call, give Deborah a call and tell her something? Be like a little simple phone. Right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> or, or, or if we're going to pray for someone. Or we're going to minister to someone. Right, right. It's like we make it so co- complicated. It's, and it's like, listen, if the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you to pray for someone, you don't need to use a lot of words to go do it. That's right. If he told you what to pray for, just go pray for that. That's right. Don't do anything else. Just pray for that. Yeah. There, there, there's a brother that we know in Kokomo, and God has you. He, he has a he has gifts of healings. The, it's not a gift of healing. Both words in, in the Greek are in plural. It's gifts of healings. Because there are different kinds of healings and different kinds of gifts for healings. Yeah. Okay, it's multiple, both. But we know, brother, who God has used to heal all kinds of people from all kinds of stuff, including my own wife, Deborah. And he sits up in, the, he sits up in, in that, your little booth where you are, uh, doing sound and all that. <clears throat> and he, every once in a while, he just comes down from the booth, and he's, he's got a word of, you know, the Lord, I think the Lord has told me to come over here and pray for Deborah's lupus today. My wife has lupus. That'll kill you. That is a death sentence. Yeah. Yeah, but she ain't dead. <laughs> so we're just going to pray for there to be life. Right? And he just comes and he just prays a real simple prayer. It doesn't even make a big deal. It doesn't even need a microphone. He just prays a real simple, quiet prayer. Father, just as you asked me to pray, I'm asking you to do. Amen. As you ask me to pray, I'm asking you to do. Just touch my sister and heal her as you see fit. In Jesus' name. And then he just goes sit back up in his booth. <laughs> it's not any fanfare. Folks, it's not a it's not about putting on a show. It's not about it's not about theatrics. It's, a, it's either about substance and reality or we ought to just not say anything. But I'm just saying, I, don't, I just wonder sometimes, we don't talk to one another that way. That's right. So why would we talk to him that way? And why would we complicate what he is saying to us? I mean, I had a dream one time where I, where I was with the Lord Jesus, and we were in Indianapolis, and he asked me to take him to a local gathering. I said, well, how about the one we go to? And he said, that's fine. And we went, and, you know, he's walking around greeting people like he thought it was his own church. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. And he, you know, and he, and he, he, came, he came and introduced himself not as Emmanuel, he introduced himself as Emmanuel, which I thought was really curious. But every time he said Emmanuel, the people said, oh, that's, that's so wonderful. We love that name. That means God is with us. And he would throw his head back and laugh and say, yay, yay, it's more than you know. <laughs> and I watched him do it like seven or eight different times, and it was hilarious. <laughs> and then he spoke to me at some point. Uh, that he wanted me to prophesy to the people when the worship was finished. And I just leaned into him. I said, Lord, what do you want me to tell them? And all, and all he looked, all he said to me, he leaned back into me and he just looked at me and said to me, just tell him what I just told you. Really? <laughs> I mean, he had just been speaking to me about what was really going on in the, in the so-called worship, which is that wasn't worship, and how it grieved his heart, and how he wanted the worship of the people 
to be coming from their hearts right. in such a way, he said to me, if they were really worshiping me, I would know it because their, their worship would penetrate my heart wow. and it would go into me and it would move me. And it would cause me to want to manifest my glory and flood this place with my light. But I cannot. Because they are not worshiping me. And I want you to prophesy to them. What do you want me to tell them? Just tell them what I told you. You know how easy it is to prophesy? It's so simple. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you, don't add anything to That's it. Right. Don't take anything away from it. It can be as simple as it gets. And if he speaks to you, you just ask him, is that all? And he says, that's it. And then whatever he told you, go say that. That's right. And then go sit down. That's right. We used to have in a fellowship in Florida, we had three elders. We had five young guys all called to the ministry. So all eight of us came to every Sunday meeting prepared to preach. I like that. Every Sunday. Three elders prepared, five young guys. They got 15 or 20 minutes because they were being groomed. And then we would just, I told our, our musicians, musicians, you get to pick one song. Don't pick any more. Pick the first song. Then dive in the river and see where the flow of the Spirit takes you. And then make plenty of room for the people of God to prophesy from their seats or have that words of exhortation, and we will determine as the flow of the Spirit goes, who among us, if any, has a word from the Lord according to what God is already doing in our midst. But it just becomes a matter of simplicity. It's like, don't make it complicated. So Jesus comes, and what, what does he say? He just, he just tells them what? He just tells them, arise. 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 And the dead man set up. I mean, how freaked out do you think these people were? <laughs> they don't know him. That's right. <laughs> this is an obscure little city name. They don't, that's like off the beaten track, I'm right. just saying. It's not one of the major towns or, or villages. It's not. They don't know him. And then all of a sudden, he, Jesus says, arise. And the guy, he sits up. And then he starts talking. He began to speak in Jesus. And here's this. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Healed, healthy, whole, restored, full of life. He gave him back to his mother. He restored him to her. And fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. You know, there are all kinds of dead places in our lives. Yeah. Many. Where life needs to encounter our death. And when life collides with death, life has victory. So you have your hopes. They may have died. Your dreams. They may have died. The longings of your heart. We can be dead to our longings. Our love may have died. Our souls may feel dead. Our children may be lost. Feels like they're dead. Our marriages. You know, there are so many men in the ministry that I know whose marriages are messed up that they really ought to get out of the ministry for a year or two or five. Yes. Because here's what I know. If a man doesn't know how to treat his wife oh, rightly, come on Chris, come on. If a man doesn't know how to treat his wife with love and respect and honor, if he's 
cruel or mean or controlling or manipulative or demanding? What is he going to do when he gets his hands on the bride of Jesus? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell you something? I believe that every man that's called to the fivefold ministry ought to be a spiritual eunuch. Yes, sir. Incapable of impregnating the bride of Christ with his own stuff. That's right. Amen. Because I know there was a eunuch in charge of those harems. That's right. Where Esther yes. was purified and beautified. Yes. Before she ever got an entrance into the king. We need to be like that. Yes, sir. But if a man doesn't know how to treat his, his own wife and his own children, how is he going to treat the bride and the family of the father? That's right. Amen. Because that stuff will surely come out as well in the church as it comes out in his house. That's right. Amen. You don't want to be around men that are controlling Men that are manipulative, right. men that are hard, men that are cruel, men that are harsh. Yes. You don't want to be around that. Why? Because, I don't know, I know somebody who says, I am agape. Yes. God is love. Now, that doesn't mean like ice cream with, <laughs> with you know, whipped cream, sprinkles, and a cherry. That, not, that's not the love of God. That's nonsense. Because I know that the father disciplines every son whom he receives. And daughters. Yes. 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 You get included in that one too. <laughs> our marriages, our ability to feel could be dead. Our willingness to try. Some people just lost their hearts. Our finances, our lost ministries, Lost family members, our broken hearts, our damaged relationships, our wounds of abuse, our twisted minds. You know, you really don't understand uh, someone until you understand the way that they think. And I tell you that man has a basic problem, and that is that he doesn't work right. And part of what's wrong with us is that our minds don't work right. That's, right. <laughs> That's why we have to be renewed. That's right. Our minds need to be recreated. Right. Our unconquered sins, our overpowering addictions, our unexpressed fears, our paralyzing shame, our sickness, our raging contempt, our unasked questions, our hopeless depression, or even death itself. I tell you, there is something that the Father wants to do inside of every one of our lives where those dead things, things that we think are beyond repair, things that we think that are beyond hope, He wants access to those rooms. The ones that we have deadbolted with like six deadbolts. I have a brother uh, who told me one time, he said, I have uh, areas of my life that are so shameful that I won't even let the Lord into those rooms. Wow. He's 72 years old. I said, my dear brother, You've been carrying this stuff for 72 years. And, the, and you think you're going to die soon, so you wanna, you're saying to me, why bother? Why bother now after all this time to bring up all that junk and all that stuff that happened in my past and in my life and in the childhood and on and on and on? <clears throat> why now? Why would I want to put myself through that? I said, because the, the love of the Father wants to heal you while you are alive on planet Earth. So you can enjoy the benefits of that and your wife and others can enjoy the benefits of the healing that yes. the Father brings to you as an old man. 
because I know some old men that need to get healed, like big time healed. And I know some young men that need to get healed too. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Behold, there was a woman in this city who was known to be a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and repeatedly kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now that is some passionate love and some extravagant worship. That's what Papa wants from us. Passionate love and extravagant worship. Listen, we need to make a distinction as people and especially the worship team and musicians, we need, to, we need to make a big, bold line of distinction between horizontal praise songs that apply mainly to us in terms of what he has done for us, which is all great, which we should praise the Lord for, amen, which we should sing. Those are fine. There's nothing wrong. But then there's something that is purely vertical worship that is all about him, and it's only about who he is, right? And about his character and his nature and his heart and on and on and on, where we absolutely are adoring him. Our eyes aren't focused on anything that he's done because, you know what? He doesn't have to do anything. Right. He doesn't ever have to do anything. He's demonstrated his love for us and already when Jesus died for us, that's enough. If he never did another thing, that's enough. But he's done already so many other things that we have plenty of reason to, to, to praise him. But we need to have vertical worship where, where our hearts can really focus on him. Because in the dream that I was telling you about a minute ago, Jesus was sitting in the seat to, just to my left. And I watched him. And he would close his eyes during the songs. And he would do this. He would go. When I asked him what he was doing, he said, I'm trying to smell the fragrance of the worship, wow, but I can't smell it. Mm. And then he looked at me and he said to me, who are they singing to? And I, I, I kind of chuckled. I said, Lord, I don't know. That's what he said about if they were really worshiping me, I would know it because their, their words and their hearts would penetrate me. So worship is about loving him in a way and, and with such extravagance and passionate love that our hearts and our words penetrate him, get inside of him, and do something to him. Can I tell you something? You have an effect on God. You know, we were singing, what, I think the first song that we sang, where we were welcoming, welcoming him. Yeah. yeah, this morning we were welcoming him. I'm standing in the back hearing the song. I don't know the song, but I'm singing it. But I just stopped. And I, and I hear the Father say this to me. They are welcoming, welcoming me and welcoming us. But we want them to know 
that we are welcoming them. We are welcoming them. You are welcome to come and worship before the throne. Listen, the throne of the Father is the center of the universe. John saw the open door in heaven. He went up, come up here. I will show you the things that must shortly come to pass. He doesn't see the future. The first thing that he sees in chapter 4 is the throne of the Father. And in chapter 4, he has the revelation of the Lamb, but the first thing that he sees is the throne of the Father. And everything that is going on in the entire universe revolves around the throne of Papa. Where Jesus happens to sit at his right hand, at his, at his rightful place. Right? And so we have the opportunity in our worship, and, and, I, and I, I want you to know this. Your worship affects him. Can I tell you, I mean, he's got all kinds of love languages of his own, by the way. But I want to tell you that one of his favorite love languages are, are words of love. Because, see, he, he happens to be one, a person who likes words, and so he left us his word. Yes. Amen. See, he even has, he even has a, the second person of, of the Godhead who's called what? He's called the word. So he's the logos. He's the word of God. Yes. Right. So Father is fond of words. And I'm telling you that your heart and your words of love to him when you worship, they move him. You can penetrate the heart of God. And he likes that. So he's welcoming. He, he, he said to me, tell them that I welcome them. They're welcoming me, which is great, but we want them to know they're welcome here Amen. in the Amen. throne, right before the throne. Because while all this is going on around here, this is in the natural. This is natural. What you're really entering into, this is not natural. That's right. You have gone into the other realm, into the throne room that is a real place. And you go there by your spirit. They must worship him in spirit yes, sir. and in truth. So we don't have to be transported physically. No, our spirits rise up to worship. Okay. And so, she stands behind him. She's kissing his feet. The Pharisee who invited him saw this. He said to himself, this is so contemptuous. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is taking hold of him and touching him. That is despicable. But you see, he thinks he's thinking it in his own heart, but what he doesn't know is that Jesus knows his thoughts. And Jesus answered, well, I don't know. He answered what? There wasn't anything being said. But you see, he was thinking to himself, so Jesus' answers to what was going on inside of his head. Right? Jesus answered all right and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Right. Say it, Rabboni. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 250 bucks or 25 bucks, let's say. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose. You see, when someone knows they're getting hooked, uh -huh. Come on. when someone knows they're, they're about to get 
punched right in the face <laughs> with the truth. They start waffling. Uh -huh. You know, they want to waffle. They don't want to stand their ground based on their thought of this man were a prophet. That's this, he doesn't know Jesus already knows what he's thinking. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And he could have added whom you despise and have contempt right, right, right. for as well as for me, if this man indicts him, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, that's an indictment on him and the woman. Yes? Yes? Yes. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. None. That was total customary every day. Anybody that came into your house. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss on the cheek. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. <clears throat> You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Now, it says here in the NASB, for she loved much, but that's a terrible translation because it makes it sound like her sins were forgiven because she loved much. That's exactly the opposite of what he's saying. He's saying that she loved much because her sins were forgiven. So the, the right translation, instead of the word for, should be so that she loved much. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven so that she loved much. But he who is forgiven littles loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And the Greek says, and remain so. Your sins have been forgiven and remain so. You know, once God the Father has forgiven you, he has chosen to remember those sins no more. That doesn't mean he forgets them. That means he chooses to not remember them. He doesn't bring them up and ruminate on them over and over and over again like we do. When we've been hurt, you know how we do. We lick our wounds and nurse. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. we talk about it like 50,000 times, telling the same story. <laughs> so what did Jesus do for this woman? Number one. Number one. He healed the shame of her soul. He healed the shame of her soul. This woman was a prostitute. She was known to be a sinner. And she might have been Mary Magdalena, maybe, who had seven demons cast out of her. Wow. It's a lot of demons. But Jesus, he doesn't care whether you have seven or a legion. Right. That's right. He, he doesn't care. What does he care if you got one demon of lust or you got a legion? There's no match for him at all, right? But he healed the shame of her soul. This is a woman... The woman who, who made the money to buy that that perfume doing her during her job. That was part of her trade too. The perfume. Come on, fellas. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
like, I don't know about y'all, but I don't know if there's anything more beautiful than a beautiful smell of woman. Come on, man. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. It's true. So this perfume that was so expensive, it came from her trade. But you know, I've known prostitutes in my life, counseled them. Those are broken women. Yeah. And the vast majority of them were sexually abused. Yeah. And they already felt like they were pieces of garbage. Right. There you go. They already felt like they were such damaged goods yeah. that nobody would ever be able to repair them or fix them. They already felt like they were so worthless that they just decided to, to, to turn it all around. By saying, okay, you want me, you're going to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. It's sick. It's twisted. But it's for real. It is. So nobody knows how many men she had been with. That's right. How many times she had allowed that to happen in her life. But every single time that it happened, it filled her soul with more shame. Because yeah. right. that cycle of shame, it goes around like a gerbil on a wheel. It's over and over and over. A cycle plays itself out over and over again. Like there's no end to it. Yes. But it ends when Jesus himself shows up. And wow. that's why she is so passionately in love with him. Yes. Because he came and he healed the shame yes. of her soul. Yes. She was standing behind him initially at his feet, but behind him. She didn't come around to the front. She came and stood behind him. I don't know if I go in front of him or not, but I know what I've got in my hand. Yes. And I'll tell you what, she, did, she came with the perfume and planned on doing that. But the rest of what happened was completely unplanned and unrehearsed. Yes, yes. That was spontaneous. That just erupted from her heart. Yeah. Wow. She just saw him, and she couldn't help herself. Yeah. This is the one that healed the shame oh, of my oh. life. You know, this, this is the one. This is the one who has healed the pain of her heart. Yeah. This is the one who has healed her of the yeah. sin of her yeah. life. Yeah. The shame of her soul, the pain of her heart, the sin of her life. The what? The shame of her soul, the pain of her heart, the sin of her life. And she stands there behind him, and all of a sudden, she is, as an act of impulse and almost embarrassment at wetting his feet with her tears, she gets down, and she takes her hair, which is up, and she lets it down. And the Bible says that a woman's long hair is her glory. So she takes her glory... And while she's crying and sobbing all over him, mixing it with perfume, mixing it with perfume, she's like, oh, what am I going to do? And she just takes her hair. And then she can't help herself. And all the while, she's wiping his feet. She's crying all over. She can't help herself. And all the while, Jesus is just allowing her to, to touch him. He is allowing her. The, the Greek actually says he, the, he would know the man who was touching her. No, the, man, the woman who was taking hold of him. That's what the Greek says. She was taking hold of him. She had hold of his feet. Yeah. And she's loving on him. Yeah. It's passionate. It's extravagant. Yes. Her tears. Her tears weeping tears, her hair kissing repeatedly his feet. I used to do that to my daughters. I still do it to them. They're, they're grown up. But I'll go over to my daughter sometimes. I just, well, I'm going to do it to John then so you don't want to. Kiss 
And that's some brotherly love there, man. That's what I'm talking about. She couldn't help herself. Wow. It's just her heart. She gave him her heart. She loved much because she was forgiven yeah. much. Yeah. Listen, there are areas of our lives of sinful things. And we resist dealing with them. We resist letting them go. But what I know is the more you're forgiven, the more you will love. Yeah. 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 So I just like claim to being a complete wretch. And whatever that involves. Because I know that he has forgiven much, yes. loves much. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. And I want to encourage your hearts. Whatever the, the Father is trying to touch inside of you, I don't know what it might be. But I believe that what Deborah heard the, the Lord say to her is true. He wants to drive a stake in the heart of our shame and free us completely so that we can know his real life inside of us. So I want to thank you for um, having us here and letting us come and share with you. We do bless you in the name of the Lord. And uh, bless John and the other uh, uh, elders and their wives and families. We want you to know that we are praying for you and standing with you for your future. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message encouraged you. If you would like to learn more about C3 Church, please visit us in person in Indian Trail, North Carolina at 5805 West Highway 74, Indian Trail, North Carolina, 28079 or on the web c3churchnc.org or on facebook.com forward slash c3indiantrailnc.org